You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. So for those of us who have been with us on a regular basis, we've been going through a study of the book of Acts. Today we'll start with a brief review, a brief review, even though it's Acts 1 through 13, it's a brief review. It's amazing how, I don't think, Steve, you're aware of what I'm preaching on today, but your prayer was like so neatly dovetailed with what I'm going to be talking about. And for our worship leader, Sonny, so were the songs. So up until now in this study in the book of Acts, the primary focus has been on Jerusalem. And then it was Judea, then it was Samaria. There were some forays of the church into the Gentile world, into Gentile lands, namely Syria, and an area that is now today Turkey, the country of Turkey. But the primary focus in these first 13 chapters has been Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. That's all part of the Middle East there around Israel, actually in the nation Israel. But this is about to change with chapter 13. The primary focus now will be the rest of the then known world. And it will stay that through the remainder of the book of Acts. The focus has shifted from Jerusalem Judea and Samaria, and it's now on to the ends of the earth. And this, of course, fulfills Jesus' masterful evangelistic strategy in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses. All that means is a witness tells other people what they know. We tell other people about Jesus. You will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem throughout Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That was the plan. That was the strategy. You start in Jerusalem, then you hit Judea, then you hit Samaria, and eventually to the ends of the earth. Until all the nations of the earth have heard the glorious gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. I thought that would be a good place for an amen. Whenever we exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a great place for an amen. Now, this verse and Matthew 28 and and some others, Luke and Mark, those verses are called the Great Commission. It's the commissioning of Jesus to his church to take this gospel out. He came. He did his work to very oversimplify it. He redeemed us. He reconciled us to the Father, and he gave that message now to the church to take to the world. It's as simple as that. We build a lot of stuff on top of that foundation, but it's really as simple as that. Today's text, Joe, you can make your way up here to the mic. Today's text is Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. The title is The Official Launch. Joe's going to come and read. If you'll stand with us, please, while he reads the Word of God. We'll honor God's Word. We'll we'll honor Joe for being willing to do this, and we'll listen as he reads. Acts 
Chapter 13, 1 through 12. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas Simon, called by the black man Lucius from Cyrene, Mayan, the childhood companion of the king Herod, Antipas, and Saul. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island. Finally, they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false, a false prophet named Bargesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked the sorcerers in the eye and he said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good. Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Thanks, Joe. That noise was the mic was too close to the speaker, back of you. Maybe seated. So today's, last, the, today's title is the official launch, the last leg of the Great Commission, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, under the, unto the ends of the earth. That last leg of the Great Commission is now underway to the ends of the earth. There are so many great missionary songs. I was looking them up, but just couldn't find a, a good version to play, like To the Regions Beyond or I've Been Sent or all these different missionary songs that talk about this taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, as we said, they had already made some sporadic forays up into the Gentile world, into these Gentile lands, and they were very effective at times. If you remember Peter and Cornelius, anybody remember Peter and Cornelius? Acts chapter 10, yeah, he and his entire household, and that does, doesn't just mean his nuclear family, that means close relatives, that means the soldiers that were under him, that means the servants that served them and close friends. It was a ton of people. They got saved. They were Gentiles. Revival actually broke out in Antioch. Remember, we were, talked about many Gentiles were coming to know the Lord. They were coming in droves, not one here and one there, but many coming to know the Lord, they were all Gentiles. So there already has been some effort to reach the Gentiles, to take it to the ends of the earth. However, there was not yet an official strategic effort. Now under the direction of the Holy Spirit, there is. So let's have a look at this official launch. 
One day as, the men, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and they sailed from there to Cyprus. It was out of a worship-slash-prayer meeting that the last leg of Great Commission of the Great Commission is launched. Just an interesting note. We're not actually going to talk about prayer. The last three weeks we focused on prayer. We're not really going to talk about prayer today, but a few comments. The church. There was no church, you know, before Pentecost. It was Old Testament. The church was birthed at Pentecost. The church was birthed in prayer, Acts chapter 2. And then the mission began. Now, in Acts chapter 13, the last leg of this great commission was birthed in prayer. The church was birthed in prayer, came into existence through prayer. Now the last leg of the great commission is birthed in prayer, comes out of a prayer meeting. Second interesting note, and of great importance for us today, in the church, not just this church, in the church. This is an extremely important point, and Steve, you mentioned it several times in your prayer. The Holy Spirit was active, and he was intimately involved in the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit birthed the church. The Holy Spirit was active and intimately involved in the launching of the last leg of the Great Commission. The Holy Spirit birthed that effort, that outreach. And by the way, and hopefully if you've been coming here any amount of time, you know this. That mission they were on, that great commission given by Jesus, that mission is still our mission today. Their mantle, that mantle that they carried, is now our mantle to carry. It's separated by so much time, so many years, and so much false teaching that we don't realize that what was theirs is now ours in all of its fullness. It seems a logical conclusion to me. That if the Holy Spirit was active and intimately involved in the birth of the church, the birth of the mission, the carrying on of that great commission, then he would also be active and intimately involved in it today, wouldn't you say? That's a logical conclusion. There's nothing in Scripture, don't let anybody tell you that there is, that that has ceased, that things have changed. Many things have changed in the world. Nothing has changed in Scripture or in God's heart and mind, his will, his plans, his purposes for his church. Nothing has changed. And his Holy Spirit has not changed. Jesus, who is God, so for all three of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Holy Spirit didn't go away at some point between then and now. It just seems like he did. Are you with me? We're still in what the Bible calls the church age or the last days, which run from Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 until the rapture 
which hasn't happened yet. What was true for them is true for us. What was available to them was avail- is available to us. One of the primary things I'm convinced God is doing in the church today. Are you listening? He is restoring the powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit to the church. Unfortunately, it's been lost. Or perhaps it's been stolen. If I was the enemy of our souls, Satan, I would not want the church to understand the power that's available to us in the Holy Spirit. I would do anything I could to steal that, to deceive the church away from that, to distract, to derail. Unfortunately, that has been stolen over the centuries. The church today, the church, needs to get to know the Holy Spirit better. We just sang about that. The church today needs to experience more of the Holy Spirit. All these things that we hold as doctrine, teaching, that body of teaching, a solid theological scriptural teaching that we know has to become more than doctrine and more than teaching. It has to become experience. If it's not experience, it's not effective. It remains in the realm of knowledge. We need to begin to experience this stuff, and that comes through the Holy Spirit. He's so important in the church, in Scripture. He's so overlooked today in the church. We at CCF, we need to get to know the Holy Spirit better. Come on, that should have been a resounding everybody in here. We at CCF need to get to know the Holy Spirit better. We at CCF, we need to begin experiencing more of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our ministry, and in the church, and through the church. I trust that's going to happen. Actually, I'm convinced it is happening. For those who have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, this will occur. This will be true for us. So the details of this launch. Now, I was fooling around with something I'm not that familiar with. I was trying to highlight some things, but it actually covered up the the names that are are there. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia. Seleucia is under some of the yellow highlighting out there. It's right on the coast of Syria. And they went from there to the town of Salamis. And Salamis, also under the highlighting, is right on the, would be the eastern tip of that island. That island is Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues, very important, and they preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. That's important to know for later, but not for today. So the first missionary journey, the first official strategic outreach with the ends of the earth in mind, has begun. And they went from Antioch in Syria to the seaport of Seleucia in Syria. From Seleucia, they went to the island of Cyprus, which is in the Mediterranean Sea, which, just a little FYI, Barnabas was actually from Cyprus. Not sure if that was why they went there or not, but he he was from that island. And on Cyprus, they went to the town of Salamis. It was on the eastern coast, and it was a bustling trade center. Probably not nearly as many people, but 
similar to our New York City or, or any, any uh, city in the world that is, is bustling with trade and commerce and finance. That's what this city Solomus was. There was a Jewish population in Solomus, so they began there. That's a natural starting point for the apostles. Saul and Barnabas were both Jewish, so they would be accepted in the synagogue. Are you following this logic? And they would be welcomed there to share. Synagogue was not like our worship service where we have one person usually preaching the word. It was more like a Sunday school where people got to share and listen and interact. And so Paul and Barnabas would have been welcomed in there. They were Jews, and they would have been asked to share. They would be accepted there. It's a great starting point because, see, the Jews would already have some knowledge, some knowledge of the true and living God. They'd have some knowledge of Scripture. They would especially have some knowledge of the Messianic prophecies which spoke about Jesus. And that, of course, was Paul and Barnabas' mission to tell them about Jesus. So they're starting with people who already have some knowledge. Many of these would be God-fearing Jews. That's why they were in synagogue. So many of them would want to know this. Then for those who were converted those who believed their message and put their trust in Jesus, this would be a great core from which to form a church. So this was the strategy. Brilliant, isn't it? Brilliant strategy. I'm sure it was given by the Holy Spirit. So this now became their practice. In each area to which they went, Paul and Barnabas would go first to the synagogue in that area and preach to the Jews. Actually, Many of our New Testament churches that are, at, that are in Gentile lands, their core groups, the major part of their origin, was Jewish people. And then through the Jewish people that came to know Jesus, they began to reach the Gentile people. And they would come to know Jesus, and they'd build their church. Now, we're going to see later in the book that starting in the synagogues didn't always work out that well. They met a lot of resistance in certain places, but... This is what they did. It was their practice. So moving on in the passage, it's the same map, but we're going to move from the eastern end of the island to the western end of the island, and here it gets interesting. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, he had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him. He wanted to hear the word of the Lord. But Elymas, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, he interfered. He urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Elymas, the sorcerer. Once they felt released from Salamis, they traveled across the island to Paphos. It's about 90 miles. It's a little further than from here to Philadelphia, maybe the other side of Philadelphia. Paphos was the capital of Cyprus. Paphos was the seat of the government that was located there. And it was also a city steeped in the occult. It was a city with a lot of Satan worship and gods and goddesses who were idolized and worshipped in Cyprus. 
And it didn't take long for Paul and Barnabas to run into Leo Carr. A saucer named Elymas began to hinder the work. Interestingly, the governor, who was an intelligent man, it says, he, was, he wanted to hear the gospel. And Elymas was interfering. This is my opinion. I think the governor was too acquainted with the powers of darkness and the, the system that was around him that he wouldn't forbid Elymas about that. But God took care of the issue. Elymas the, Elymas, Elymas the sorcerer was one of his chief advisors. He urged the governor to pay no attention to Paul and Barnabas or their gospel. Paul's response. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. He looked the sorcerer in the eye. I love that. I bought eyeball. Mono imano. He looked the saucer in the eye and he said, it's so hard to not say what naturally comes with you, son of a. <laughs> so I had to really guard myself. You son of the devil. Full of every sort of deceit and fraud. Enemy of all that is good. Will you never stop perverting the ways of the Lord? Watch now. For the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. That's so easy to just see the ink on the page and skip over what actually just happened here. Paul spoke Blindness onto this enemy of God. Wow. Startling, right? And here's the question I asked myself. Could you see yourself doing that? Could you see yourself saying that? Peyton can. I think we're going to need more of you in the church in the day ahead. He said, if that guy's serving the devil, I would. See, it would be nice to say, there's a huge objection to this. It would be nice to say, well, you know, that was before Jesus. That was before the New Testament. That was, you know, the way God was in the Old Testament. Things have changed. Don't you realize things have changed? With Jesus, and things have changed now that we're in the New Testament. Man, it's, it's now about love, and it's about mercy, and it's about forgiveness. And it is. Our enemies today are not flesh and blood enemies. They're spiritual enemies that we're fighting. Wait, that amen was a little too quick. This is after Jesus already came. This is New Testament. This is where love, mercy, and kindness rule the day. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. Amen. 
Here's a concern. It's one of the reasons we're in the mess that we're in. Steve prayed for our nation and for the world. This is one of the reasons we're in the mess that we're in. The church has been in gentle shepherd mode for so long that we've lost touch with the other side of our Savior. The warrior king. The just judge. The holy one who can't tolerate sin or evil. He's still that. The warrior, righteous, holy king who stands decisively against his enemies. Who overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple. That was our gentle shepherd. Who called the Roman governor Herod an evil fox. Who constantly berated the Jewish religious leaders called them hypocrites, walking dead, brood of vipers, and on and on. Jesus, who did not mince words when proclaiming the truth and never compromised with evil and never tolerated evil and never allowed evil to exist in his presence. If a demon tried to manifest itself in somebody that Jesus was ministering to, it was a no-brainer. Get out. Be gone. We have a gentle shepherd. We have a warrior king, a righteous judge, a holy savior. The church has been in gentle shepherd mode for decades. We've lost touch with the other side of our savior and we haven't been able to stand against evil and evil has run all over us. That's about to change. And you can be on board or not on board, but that's about to change. Well, I'm sorry. That is changing. So what does this mean for us today? All right. Disclaimer. I am not encouraging any of us to run out of this building and try and make people blind. That is not the purpose of this message. Please hear that. What I really want to do today is deal with a general principle that we see in this section. This is the general principle. When we decide and we commit to serving God, we can expect opposition to arise. Some might even say, the greater you step out to serve God and to do kingdom work, the greater the opposition you'll face. Some would go as far as to say, when we hit opposition, it's an affirmation that we're doing something right. And if we're not facing any opposition, we better go to the Lord and say, why? Opposition can actually be an indication that we're in God's will. <clears throat> but God did give me the right to say this again, by the way. Remember, I, I, he, he wouldn't let me do this anymore. But persecution, I'm not too crazy about. So if we can do our kingdom work without hitting opposition, I am all for it. I'm not saying bring it on. But if it does come on, I got some good news for us. See, ironically, we often think the opposite 
that when we hit opposition and when we hit adversity, we think, wow, man, God's no longer with us. I must be out of his will. Surely he wouldn't allow it to get this tough for me if I was really in his will. And the opposite of that, unfortunately, is true. We have a tendency then, difficulty, adversity, opposition, it's just we have a tendency to back off and we have a tendency to give up when that's when we need to press in, press on all the more. Another mistake we've made is we've tried to do it alone. We are American. We have this independent spirit. I can do it. I don't need your help. That's the antithesis of Scripture. Scripture says you can't do it. You need other believers to help. Familiar verse. I use it all the time, and now you get to see it on the screen. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. If you read on in that verse, it just says you're simply sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Are you thinking these days about really stepping out to serve God with all your heart? Are you thinking about that? Have you heard the Holy Spirit's gentle voice lately calling you? Have you felt his gentle nudge towards ministry to get involved, to not be a sitter no longer, to be a server? To move out in ministry, move out in kingdom work, move out in evangelism. Have you been hearing God, that gentle, whispering, siren verse of, voice of God, nudging you, calling you into this? You should, because the Holy Spirit has been speaking to us about this often. And clearly, he's calling his church out of the pews. And in the service. I just want you to know, if you are considering responding to God's call on your life, be forewarned, expect opposition. Expect Elymas to show up somewhere. But don't fret over that. Don't fear it. Why, Pastor? It can get pretty difficult. Yeah, I know it can. Some people lose their lives. That's true. But to live as Christ, finish it. To live as Christ, to die is gain. So don't fear that persecution that I joke about. <laughs> don't fret over it. Why, Pastor? Well, here's why. You belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people. The Holy Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in, in the world. The Holy Spirit in you is greater than the opposition. <laughs> and maybe, just maybe, he will use you to blind somebody that just won't repent or have remorse. If it's going to serve his purpose, it's entirely possible. The reason opposition arises is because it's an attempt to intimidate. That's all Satan really has, fear and intimidation. 
If we give in to them, we're done. We're paralyzed. He's like the Wizard of Oz. He makes himself appear much more than he is. I'm not saying take him lightly at all. But compare him to Christ, and there's no comparison. Yeah, we cannot stand against him in our own strength. That's scriptural. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This stuff sounds good from the pulpit, doesn't it? we got to start living it and experiencing it. The one who is in us, the one who is with us, the one who is in us, he's greater than the one opposing us, demonic or human. But here's where we also sometimes fall into a trap. We always separate those two. Listen, often the two are working together like Elymas. It's very unfortunate, but there are people out there opposing Christ, opposing the church, opposing God's purposes, who are in cahoots with the devil, and they've become our enemy. Like Elymas. Believers have the power, believers have the authority from Christ to overcome any opposition. We see it in operation in this text. Paul was now having none of it. He had a job to do. He had an assignment from the Lord. He wasn't sensing at this time that assignment was over. So he took control of the situation. He blinded the dude. That's what he did. I didn't really put it in my notes, but I should say, in the scriptures it says, he blinded him. And he told him, you will not be able to see for some time. What does that mean? That means it was not a permanent blindness. And I just wonder, do you remember Paul had a little bout with blindness? When God blinded him so that he'd come to know Christ. And I wonder if Paul didn't have in mind, I'm going to blind you for a little bit of time to maybe you'll come to your senses and repent. And turn to Christ. Interesting, isn't it? You're going to be blind for a little while. Doesn't ever say what happened to Elymas, whether he came to Christ or whether when he restored, regained his sight, he went back to sorcery. But what we want to know today is there's no need to fear the opposition, there's no need to fret or to worry. Here's the promise. Let us not become weary or fearful or intimidated in doing good. For at the proper time, right now it may seem to you I've been laboring, laboring, laboring. I'm not seeing no fruit. I know that's not good grammar. I'm not seeing, I ain't seeing no fruit from what I'm doing. It says at the proper time, there's a time coming when we will reap a harvest if what? If what? If we don't give up, if we don't become intimidated, if we don't become fearful, if we don't become so weary and we say, what's the use? I'm just put, I'm going to bed. I'm pulling the covers up over my head. Let me know when the rapture happens. And there are Christians who are beginning to think that way. All they want is the rapture. And we all want the rapture. But there's work to be done before the rapture happens. Possibly the rapture can't happen until we do the work. 
So if we're in bed with the cover up over our heads, we're delaying the rapture. Get out there and serve the Lord. Hasten the rapture. Paul and Barnabas could have backed down. They could have bowed to the pressure. They didn't. They continued on. They did not give up. They confronted the situation. They took, took, uh, took control of the situation. They're a great illustration of this verse. We will reap if we don't give up because of verse 12. When the proconsul, who's the governor, saw what happened, he believed. When he saw this power encounter between these righteous guys and this unrighteous saucer, he saw who was greater and he believed. There's a purpose when God does stuff like that. It's to show people who really is boss and who really is in control. We don't see much of that today. I don't think that's on God's part. I'm afraid we're not in a position to see it. We've got to get into a position where he can work like that. He couldn't do any miracles in their town because of their unbelief. Because Paul and Barnabas didn't give up or give in, because the governor saw in and through them the awesome display of the power, the authority of Christ, and how much greater Christ was than the occult. The governor believed, and he came to faith in Christ. There was a purpose. It wasn't just some random, go after that guy, Paul. There was a purpose in all that happened. And it was orchestrated, in my mind, all by the Holy Spirit. All under the direction of the Holy Spirit. I want to close with this verse that we shared at the annual meeting. And then Ron's going to come and pray. And we'll close then after that in worship. But here's the verse. So encouraging. Good verse to commit to memory. Psalm 112, 7 and 8. They, meaning God's people, they do not fear bad news. They do not fear opposition. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They're confident, they're fearless, and they can face their foes triumphantly. And that's what God's looking for in the church today. The powers of darkness, the occult, enemies of Christ, demonic or human, they're no match for the power and authority of Christ in the believer in the church. Okay, Ron, if you'll come. And we'll stand while Ron prays. And the band, I guess you can make your way up. We don't want to be causing too much disturbance for Ron, but maybe we can get in or get positioned and you can pray, Ron. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we just lift this service up to you, Lord. Lord, look at these people in this room. Father, I just ask you to look. Their eyes are looking to you. They're looking and searching for what you have for them. And Lord, I just ask you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, at this moment, come down upon them. Come down upon each and every one of them, Lord. Satisfy their needs it for you and what you have them to do. Heavenly Father, we just ask you to give us the authority that Jesus gave us to walk in that authority, to walk in that faith. And we just praise you and thank you, Lord, that we can walk in that authority by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't do no miracles, Father. We know this because, until he was you know, filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're asking. We're tired of being 
weak little sheep. Lord, we want to be roaring lions for your word. We want to be roaring lions for your, your purpose. And Lord, we lift that up and, and the only way we can get that, Lord, is by the power of the Holy Spirit that's within us. Activate it. Turn it on in us. And, and Lord, we just praise you. We just thank you, Lord. Build our faith. Build our faith through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can actually go out there and speak a word and it happens just like Paul did to the sorcerer. He just spoke that word and it happened. So Lord, we just lift this up to you. We just praise you, you know, that we want to be filled. We want to be filled and filled and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, like I said, we, we want to walk in the authority that Jesus has given us and, 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 build, and also build our faith. That's so important that we can walk, you know, as the pastor said, you know, the fiery, fiery darts. But if we have the shield of faith, we can knock down them fiery darts from the enemy. We're, we're, over, we're stronger than he is. We were given the victory over him. And, Lord, we just got to walk in that victory. And all these people in this room here, Lord, are craving for more of you. They're craving for the power that you have for us, Lord. No longer, no longer. We're, we're not sheep no more. We're roaring lions. We want to roar. We want to roar and pour a sword of the spirit out, the written word, and, and just go and battle for you. And Lord, we just lift this all up to you. We just praise you and we just thank you that you're going to grant that to us. We decree it. We decree the power of the Holy Spirit upon us, Lord, and, and, and we just want to lift that up. We, we decree the strongholds of Satan has been broken off of each and every one of person here, that they, they don't have a hold on us, and we decree that, Lord, too. So, Father, we just praise you, and thank you, Lord, that we take this word, and we, we just use it for your good. Let us have ears to hear your mighty voice in us. Let us have ears to hear that, Lord. But then the choice is ours. We have to obey what you tell us to do. And, Lord, we just crave that. We, we want that. We need that. We just want to lift this all up to you, Father. Father, we just praise you again. We cannot stop praising you and giving you thanksgiving, your mercy, your mercy that you brought us this far, Lord. Now we ask you to take us further, take us to a whole new level. And we ask you to do this in the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus gave to us. And, Lord, let us walk in that power. And we all lift this up in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.